You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Exodus. Deliverance. A way out. When the Israelites were captive to a bondage forged by human hands, God delivers. When the idolatry of their human hearts was louder than the hunger after their God, God is faithful. When God's people forfeited the blessings of his divine presence, God restores relationship. At the moment, God meets with Moses on the mountaintop. He has already saved them. God redeems and brings his people into freedom and then provides instruction on how to live. Be holy for I am holy, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Be holy and show the nations who I am. Moses, an instrument of God's rescuing, leads the Israelites out of physical bondage in Egypt. Yet he is a mere shadow, a pale precursor to the one who leads God's people out of eternal spiritual bondage and sin, Jesus Christ, the one who came to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and to set the oppressed free. This is a story of rescue and freedom a story of God's desire to dwell with his people, a story of grace upon grace. Good morning, everyone. That was an awesome response. You all must be awake this morning. Uh, my name is Chris Kyle. Uh, my wife and I lead for one of the small groups or gospel community groups uh, here at GCC. Uh, thank you so much for being here on the first day of the year. Uh, we've got a little bit smaller crowd than normal, but that makes me feel okay because I don't usually preach. So that's awesome. Um, if you're just visiting, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I'd love to uh, talk with you afterwards if you have any questions, and I'm sure Rick uh, or the elders would love to talk with you uh, as well. Um, let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, I just pray that you will uh, use this broken vessel uh, and speak through me, God. And, and just, just let your word be proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as you noticed by this beautiful video, uh, we're jumping back into the study of Exodus. We took a break uh, for the Advent season. Um, and today we're going to ch- focus on chapter 13. And the title and the main point of the lesson today is, Remember Who God Is and What He Has Done. Um, before we jump directly into 13, uh, let's just take a few moments to review what's happened in Exodus up to this point. So in the Exodus narrative, we start and we hear of Israel's plight, right? They came to Egypt to be saved or rescued from famine um, at the end of Genesis. Um, But this place of refuge has become a land of slavery and oppression. Uh, The Egyptians have forgotten who Joseph is, and Israel's plight keeps getting worse and worse. I think it's important to remember as we talk through this narrative that God could have just snapped his fingers and rescued the Israelites from Egypt, right? He didn't have to go through this whole narrative. He didn't have to give these signs, um, but he did so to tell us something, to tell Moses, to tell the Israelites, to tell Egypt, and eventually us, 
something about who he is, who his nature is. I think it's important to to have that frame of mind as we look through um, what he uh, does in the Exodus narrative. So God has highlighted some aspects of his nature to Moses, to his people, and to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. First, we hear that God is a God who keeps his promises. Um, He reminds Moses that he is the God in chapter 3, verse 6, that he's the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in chapter 6, he uh, reiterates this. He says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for your possession, for I am the Lord. Um, We also hear that he is a God who hears and sees his people. In chapter 3, verse 7, it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. God is a God who hears and sees uh, what's going on in the world with his people. Uh, We also hear God say that he is the true God. So Moses is pushing God as he's talking to him in the burning bush, like, who who do I say sent me? Who do I tell Pharaoh says to let his people go? And God says, I am who I am. Uh, I am Yahweh. In other words, I am the only God who exists. Okay, Um, I am the true God. We also find out that because God is the true God and he is a powerful God, the God who created the universe, he doesn't need perfect or even particularly great vessels to accomplish his purpose. We read in Exodus 2 that Moses, who he uses, is a murderer, right? He kills people and then he goes out into the wilderness for 40 years and he says, God, I I can't speak to people. I've been hanging out with sheep for the last 40 years. Um, I cannot be this great leader. And God says, I got you covered. First of all, take your brother, but also it doesn't really matter because I am the one who's speaking. My will will be accomplished. He is all powerful God. He doesn't need perfect vessels, which makes me feel really good as I'm up here uh, speaking to you today. We also learned something about Pharaoh and I think something about human nature. So when Moses comes to talk with Pharaoh um, and tell him that the Lord says to let his people go, Pharaoh in chapter five, verse two says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Now, I think this, we hear this echoed often here in the Pacific Northwest in Eugene. You know, who is God that says that I should do these things or not do these things? And certainly if we're honest or if I'm honest with myself, I, I also echo this in choices that I make, right? Who, why, why should I follow God? If not explicitly, then at least implicitly. We then uh, see God's power in the 10 plagues. This word can also be translated as blows or strikes against Egypt, Um, And in each of these, God is telling something about his nature to Moses, to the Israelites, and to Pharaoh, and to us. So first, we see that God is in control and sovereign over the Egyptian world, including the life-giving Nile River. So in chapter 7, he turns the Nile and all the water and the tributaries to blood. Okay, so this life-giving source, he turns to death. Then frogs come out of the Nile. So again, this life-giving source becomes a source of misery. We see that God is sovereign over comfort. The dust of the earth becomes gnats in chapter eight. And this word that's translated as, often translated as gnats, kinim in Hebrew, can also be translated as lice, uh, which makes me crawl just a little bit more than gnats do. Uh, in chapter eight, he brings boils to the people of Egypt. Okay, He is sovereign over our comfort. He is also sovereign over our livelihood. And in the case of Egypt, crops and livestock. So he brings flies in chapter eight to ruin the land. He kills all the livestock in chapter nine. He brings hail to destroy the crops that are coming up and then brings locusts to destroy whatever is left. He He is God of our livelihoods. He is sovereign over our food. Then in his penultimate strike against Egypt, he brings darkness upon the land. 
Now, this is particularly significant in Egypt, because if you know anything about Egypt, Egyptian mythology or the pantheon, Ra, the sun god, was the father of all of the Egyptian gods. And God says, you know what? I created the sun and everything else. I am sovereign over this too. Your Egyptian jobs are nothing. In his last strike against Egypt, the last plague, he brings death. And he shows that he is sovereign over death and life. And also, perhaps more importantly, over the future of the nations. So in a patriarchal society, the firstborn son is the one who inherits the family name, who brings the family forward. So killing the firstborn son is affecting and cutting off a family's future. Okay? So in chapter 10, we have the death of the firstborn. This is the first time where God asks the Israelites to do something. Okay? And they, he tells them to sacrifice a perfect lamb a year old and take its blood and put it over uh, the lintel and over the doorposts. And all who follow God's um, will here are saved from death. But all the Egyptians, all the firstborn in every house, and all of the firstborn of the animals are killed. At the end of chapter 12, Pharaoh finally relents and says, okay, you can go. Please take all of this stuff too. The Israelites leave Egypt with all their livestock, with the unleavened bread that God told them to make, and with a bunch of loot. In chapter 13, which is our focus for today, God sets up a holiday uh, to help the Israelites remember who God is and what he has done in leading them out of Egypt. If we take just a step back, um, in our culture, we have lots of holidays designed to help us remember particular people and events, right? I think this highlights the idea that we're particularly bad at remembering. We get so caught up in our daily lives that we can easily forget how we got to where we were or who put us here. Um, we, like, we like holidays. If you are on social media at all, it seems like there's a new holiday each week, right? You have Siblings Day and Second Cousins Day and, and who knows what else. But we also have a number of uh, federal holidays, national holidays, and I'm just going to go over a few of them here. So one is today. Happy New Year, everyone. On New Year's, we celebrate renewal and make resolutions for how we'll improve ourselves over the year. We also remember how many fireworks our neighbors have and how late they're willing to set them off. We have holidays like July 4th, where we remember the fight for independence and how awesome our country is and how great barbecue, and again, how many fireworks our neighbors have and how late they like to set them off. Um, we have holidays like Juneteenth and Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, where we remember the end of slavery in the U.S. and remember the fight for civil rights. We have Veterans Day, where we remember and honor those who have served in our armed forces. We have Memorial Day, to remember those who have died fighting for our country. Um, we also have holidays like Christmas, where as Christians, we remember Jesus' birth. Um, and if you're not a Christian, then you remember the salvation of consumerism through Santa Claus and some reindeer, which, by the way, I enjoy. We also have national holidays, right? Things like Mother's Day, where we remember the sacrifices and the wonderful love of our mothers. A month later, we have Father's Day, where we remember how well fathers celebrated mothers the month before. <laughs> We have Easter, where as Christians, we remember the resurrection of Jesus and his sacrifice. And if we're not Christians, then we remember chocolate bunnies and Easter baskets and, and the beginning of spring. Um, we also have family and personal holidays, like anniversaries, where we, we remember all the love we have for our spouses. Um, birthdays, we remember and celebrate the lives of our children and our spouses and the rest of our family. We also have opportunities for remembrance sort of every day, especially if you're a parent. I'm going to give a brief story of this. So this week, uh, or the week before Christmas, our house was struck with the flu, which many of you I know also had RSV or the flu or COVID over the last month. 
um, which of course brought out the best in all of us. Okay, all four of us were sick. My daughter, uh, Rhea, who will put a picture up right now. You can see how cute this little girl is. This is Rhea. She's three years old, an angel, as you can see. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Uh, but she can also be the most obstinate person in the entire planet, which I'm absolutely sure is not genetic, or at least didn't come from my side of the family. And the flu didn't help this. Um, my wife likes to take pictures to capture moments. And so the next picture is a picture, real life, of my daughter uh, being in one of her moods, being extremely obstinate, <laughs> causing, uh, yeah, pillaging here. Uh, two particular points in, in life that she gets the most obstinate is one where we try to get her to go to the bathroom. Now, she is potty trained, but she does not like to be told to go to the bathroom. So when it's been a few hours and she's acting weird, we're like, hey, Rhea, you want to go to the bathroom? This is what we get. Um, also, mealtime is uh, a time where she is super duper obstinate. Um, so, you know, dinner is awesome at the Kyle household. Okay, so the picture that we'll just, can you throw that back up there? So this is actually a real life picture of me trying to get my daughter to go to the bathroom. And there was a particular instance over break where she hadn't gone to the bathroom in probably four hours. And I got her on the toilet and she is very angry at me and screams full force, go away, go away for five minutes. This is what it felt like, okay? Now, because I'm telling you this story, I'm relating one of the times where I was actually calm and, and remembered uh, who my daughter is, right? I remember that she is the cutest child in the world. She's my daughter, so she's not this angry dragon. And at the same time, I tried to remind her that I was her loving father. I'm not a knight coming to slay her. I just want the best for her, right? So she can go to the bathroom and feel better. But how difficult that is, right? Uh, again, I'm telling the story, so I'm not telling of all the times where I get frustrated and stomp out, say something sarcastic, or just say, fine, deal with it then. It's hard for me to remember that in those moments. So again, we humans are bad at remembering things, even amazing life-altering events like our salvation and entities like God. Knowing this, in Exodus 13, God sets up a holiday to memorialize Israel's redemption from death and from slavery. So the last lesson we had on chapter 12, which was a little over a month ago, Rick talked about the Passover, um, and then which is a holiday that God set up. And then we have the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which memorializes Israel's flight from Egypt. Okay, so let's dig into the text. The Israelites have just left Egypt en route to the wilderness, and they have their unleavened bread that God told them to make. And God speaks to Moses in Exodus 13, uh, chapter 1 through 2. And we'll be reading through a large chunk of Exodus today, uh, so feel free to turn there. It's near the, the beginning of your Bible. We also have Bibles back on the Connect table, uh, so if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to, to grab one and make that your own. And we'll also have them up on the screen here. So Exodus 13, 1 through 2. So God is spoke, speaking to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So God has saved or redeemed Israel from death in the Passover and from slavery in Egypt. And now he is claiming Israel, symbolized by the firstborn son, as his own. So the Israelites now belong to God and he is claiming them. How wonderful of a thing this is. We'll continue reading in uh, chapter 13, verses 3 through 10. So after God speaks to Moses, then Moses speaks to Israel. In chapter 3, or in verse 3, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. 
Today in the month of Abib, you're going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep the service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. Again, the reason that they had unleavened bread was because they didn't have time for the dough to rise before they had to leave Egypt. They left so abruptly. And so God is setting up this holiday, this remembrance of this salvation from slavery in Egypt. In verse eight, Moses tells the people, you should tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time from year to year. You see, God knows how forgetful the Israelites would be and will be, how caught up in daily circumstances and needs that they would become. They needed this holiday they celebrate together. This corporate holiday is a blessing to remember how great their God is and the great things that he has done. Much like we as a church family come together each week to worship God and remind ourselves of his greatness, his goodness, and his love. Okay, we're going to read through 11 through 15. So Moses repeats a lot of these themes, but talks about sacrifice. So in verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males, you shall redeem. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. So here sacrifices to the Lord in some ways presage the concepts of first fruits, wherein we recognize that everything comes from God and therefore all belongs to God. So he has pulled them out of slavery. They now belong to God and all of their hope is in him. This also includes the Israelites' future, which as I mentioned before, is symbolized by the firstborn son, right? He's taking the son saying, this is, this is mine, your future is with me and you are mine. It also serves as a reminder in, the, in 11 through 15 that all the firstborn were saved by God through a blood sacrifice during the Passover. And this points to a future redemption, not just from physical slavery in Egypt and physical death during the Passover, but from sin. And not just for the Israelites who are saved here, but for all who put their faith in Christ Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus using the Passover feast to begin a new memorial to the perfect life that he lived and the sacrificial death that he would die to redeem all who put their faith in him. To be legally blameless before God because of the shedding of his blood, so that when God looks upon us, he doesn't see the sinful dragons that we can be, like in those pictures, like my daughter. He doesn't even see the cute, seemingly perfect, but still flawed, cute versions of ourselves, but he sees his son, Jesus Christ, who is perfect and blameless. And because of this, we can look upon God, Yahweh God, as our loving father. Let's read in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, we'll read two passages, 17 through 19 and 26 through 29. Let's start in verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare, prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. 
And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And then we'll pick up again in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this new memorial, this new remembrance Jesus sets up is not just of God's uh, salvation from slavery for the Israelites, but our salvation from sin, right? How much greater is this for us? Not that we were saved from physical death and, and from slavery, but we are saved from the clutches of sin and we can be with God. Um, we see in Acts chapter 20, that this was a weekly practice for Christians. So instead of it being every year where we remember, um, this was done weekly, and that's something that we do here at GCC as well. Okay, so despite the fact that Israelites saw firsthand the awesome power of God again and again, right? They saw these 10 strikes or blows against Egypt. God leads them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. He feeds them in the wilderness. He gives them water. He leads them physically as we see in chapter 13 uh, at the end, through pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. Like, can you imagine that God is, we go through your day, you're driving to work and God is leading you through a pillar of, of cloud. They all too quickly forgot who God is and what he had done for them. Just two and a half months after being led out of Egypt, as Moses is receiving the 10 commandments, the Israelites go into crisis mode because he was up there a little bit longer than they expected. Okay? And they asked Aaron in Exodus 32 to make a golden calf which I'm sure this calf would be just as awesome, right? As the God who led them out of Egypt, right? Parted the Red Sea and led them via pillars of cloud and fire. They were, it's easy for us in this time to see like how ridiculous these Israelites were. Like they were with God. They physically followed God. He brought them out of 430 years of slavery. How could they do this? How could they forget so quickly after just over two months who God is and what he had done for them? However, much like the Israelites, we were, before we put our faith in Jesus Christ, or if you haven't, you are slaves. Before we put our faith in Jesus, we were slaves to sin and therefore sentenced to eternal death. And much like the Israelites who were saved from physical slavery and physical death, those who put their faith in Jesus and been saved by the strong hand of the Lord and redeemed uh, from the power of sin. And instead of an outwardly sign of God's presence in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, we have God's spirit living in us, as Jesus promised and is outlined in Ephesians and Corinthians and 1 John. We'll read from Romans 8, uh, verses 5 through 10. It highlights this idea. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Again, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And yet, despite the fact that we have been saved from sin, despite the fact that if we follow Christ and put our faith in him, that the spirit of God lives inside of us, how forgetful we still are. Or at least I can speak for myself, how forgetful I still am. So in moments of crisis, or even in moments that don't, aren't particularly crisis-filled, uh, much like my 
three-year-old daughter, I failed to remember who my father is, right? I don't see him as a loving God who wants the best for me, but I see him more than night coming to kill me. I look for comfort in golden calves, such as success at work, physical fitness, or even in my works, feeble though they may be, instead of the true comforting love of the salvation of Christ. Also, when we sin, this is also an effect of failing to remember how wonderful God is and who he is and what he has done. So when I keep record of records of wrong in my marriage and act accordingly, accordingly grumpy, grumpily, as my wife will tell you, uh, I forget that God does not even remember any of my sins, or at least when he looks on Jesus the Son, he forgets all my sins. When I'm short with my kids, when they disobey, and ref- I refuse to model God's grace to them, I forget the grace that God has given me. When I covet the cool things that my neighbors have or the cool experiences they get to have, right? I forget that nothing in this world matters. The only thing that matters is the true God who saves me. Again, this is all a result of me forgetting how big and amazing God is and what he has done through Jesus so I can be called his own. So if as humans, we are prone to forget, as I believe we are, prone to get wrapped up in our daily to-do lists, in our daily crises, and we, fail to, and we fail to remember how great and powerful Yahweh God is, what can we do to remember? Scripture gives us some guidance here, and I'll just highlight a couple points. First, we can and should meditate on God's word. As God commands Moses' successor, Joshua, in Joshua 1.8, the book uh, after the Pentateuch, uh, in Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We are called to meditate on God's word. We can't remember on our own. We're prone to forget. And God's word is a place to go to remember who God is and what he has done. We can also d- demonstrate our reliance on the Lord through prayer. So Jesus repeatedly gives us this Example in the Gospels, um, for example, in Luke 5, as he is preaching to the people, he often goes off to quiet places to pray to the Lord. And the writers of the epistles also emphasize the importance of prayer. Uh, for example, in Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 through 7, which we'll read here, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A third way that we can remember who God is and what he has done is by meeting together. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, as we do each week uh, here and as we've done this morning. And in Hebrews 10 Verses 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we do this on Sunday mornings. We do this in our uh, gospel community groups and, and other opportunities throughout the week. And though there isn't anything particularly holy about this holiday, right? Today is a holiday, New Year's Day. Um, it certainly is a culturally relevant time to commit ourselves uh, or recommit ourselves to the spiritual disciplines of reading God's word daily, praying to him in and for all things, and fellowshiping with the church here on Sundays and in small groups, um, which start up next week. I want to emphasize, this isn't so God will love us anymore. We don't do these things to earn God's favor. We do this because 
of God's grace. Because of his love, we want to read about him more, pray to him, rely on him, rest in him so that our joy can be even more complete in him. We will now move to a time of communion, again, a time of remembrance of God's sacrifice in Jesus, where as we discuss, we remember that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood that was shed for our redemption. If you're not a follower of Christ, uh, we would ask that you would hold off at this time for you would be proclaiming something that you don't believe, but um, it's awesome when we see people sitting down during communion uh, because we know there are people who are seeking God um, and we'd love to talk to you after service and we certainly hope to see you come back. Um, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, those who call GCC their church home can also contribute financially online at gccugene.org and there are also uh, boxes here uh, where you can help support the work that God is doing through GCC. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for everything that you have done and continue to do. We thank you for all the opportunities we have uh, to remember your love and the hope we have in you, God, and your sacrifice in Jesus, the perfect lamb who has redeemed, who has redeemed us from sin and death. In Jesus' name, amen.